Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Stephen, who is the founder and CEO of eSupply Canada, a national online distributor of office, janitorial, and industrial supplies, and the only franchise company in Canada focused on Indigenous community ownership. Stephen, thank you for being here. Garyan, great to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity to sit down and chat with you and your listeners. So big one that everyone loves to know, origin story. Every superhero has one. How did you come to start eSupply Canada? How did I start this retailer? I, I mean, it's a good question. Back in 2016, I was serving as an elected member of council at my First Nation. It's called Soggy and First Nation, and it's about two and a half hours northwest of Toronto. In that time, my uh, one of my portfolios was economic development. And I was looking for ways to drive economic development within the community. But what I saw was basically revenue leaving our community, right? Economic leakage. It's a major issue. It's it's an issue when you don't have businesses to keep the flow of capital circulating within a geographical boundary. We had a gas station, and, and that's not enough to purchase the goods and services that the community members need, that the government needs. And so I started to look at ways in which we could address this economic leakage. And one of the things that I found was through office supplies, through industrial supplies, the supplies that we need to keep the community running. And I started to look at where are we getting these supplies from? And it turns out we were getting them from, you know, the big box retailers out there. I'm not going to name them. You know who they all are. I'm sure many of your your listeners use them. Uh, But that's where we were getting our resources. And as I looked at our budget, our annual operating budget was $27 million dollars. Now, because we had a gas station, upwards of 90, 95% of that uh, revenue was actually flowing outwards of the community. And I said, you know, we need to begin looking at ways that we can begin purchasing these supplies from ourselves. And so that was really, you know, uh, the genesis of what would become e-supply. So we are an online distributor, office, janitorial, industrial supplies as well as uh, marketing and promotion materials and um, computers and technology. So we really are a one-stop shop for all things business. That is incredible. And pick up so far. What, give me an example maybe of a nation who's kind of seen this help them. Like I imagine maybe in your own nation where they've built to leverage this opportunity. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that we've been able to do um, is support communities through the pandemic. number of indigenous communities. I actually launched this company February 16, 2020. Three weeks later, we know, you know, the world shut down. And it's not a great place to be at when your whole business model is providing business supplies. But what I found is that through our industrial supply chains, we had access to PPE, gloves, masks, goggles, gowns, you name it. Because when we're not in the midst of the pandemic, 
Those are actually supplies that are used on any number of industrial job sites. So we had access to those supply chains. And what we were able to do is actually support a number of indigenous communities right across Canada to be able to source and supply uh, a number of um, really important things that they needed in order to keep their communities running. One of the things that we also did was we actually gave access to our supply chains to help address communities' need for supplies. Revenue was being diverted to be able to purchase the supplies that they need to keep their members safe. And we said, how can we support communities? You know, at the time, we weren't in a position to be able to support any number of the causes since we had just started. But what we were able to do is actually provide at-cost office supplies to Indigenous communities within Ontario. We forewent profit so that Indigenous communities had access to the supplies and that they can continue purchasing the supplies that they needed. So it was a small role that we were able to play, really at the height of a pandemic when everyone was looking for these important uh, supplies. It's amazing. And today, not only can people come to any supply place and, and, and make purchases, but you're getting people empowered to start franchises. Tell us about that. Besides not just starting a business, you're starting multiple businesses. Yeah, so that's really our growth strategy. People say, you know, Stephen, why are you franchising? You know, and as I reflect on, you know, the origin story that we talked about at the beginning, really identified an issue that was happening within my community, economic leakage. And I know that, you know, with 634 Indigenous communities across Canada, many communities are looking at ways that they can begin addressing economic leakage themselves. And what better way is by having access to the supply chains and the materials that they're already purchasing from largely the big box retailers. And so when I was looking at do I empire build and hire a bunch of regional sales reps and grow, you know, a large corporate company, Or do I give back and package the supplies and the materials and give that as a vehicle to Indigenous communities? And that was ultimately the path that I chose. So we actually have two models. One is an Indigenous community ownership model. And as you mentioned in the introduction, we are the only Indigenous business in Canada that's focused on Indigenous community ownership. That allows Indigenous communities to earn revenue simply by purchasing the supplies that they're getting elsewhere through their own franchise system. As well as if they have partnerships with developers within their territory, they're easily able to enhance those relationships through supply-based partnerships because they would have access to well over a million uh, supplies that, again, those businesses are also purchasing. That's on the Indigenous side of things. But we also have uh, a great home-based business for anyone that sees the value in these high-volume recurring supplies that we provide access to. And it's a really exciting opportunity for folks that want to work from home. You know, maybe they have other priorities. Maybe they're raising kids or they're just tired of the corporate 9 to 5, 9 to 10, whatever it might be, right? The stuff that we provide are actually the supplies that businesses need to operate, And we provide a one-stop shop for all of those supplies. So um, the response has been great. We're actually about to sign hopefully four new franchisees within the next two months. So it's a really exciting time for e-supply and our model to scale. So agencies that are listening now and people who have offices or need supplies for their even their home, could they go to the website and find maybe like a local franchise that they could start purchasing from? Yeah, so we're not actually there yet. Everything is actually done through centralized purchasing through the eSupplyCanada.ca website. And so what that does 
is if we have a franchise within your territory, then they would actually benefit from your purchase. If no one is there, then it's just it goes through e-supply corporate until such time as you have somebody there. But the website's open to everyone. We encourage your listeners, agencies, uh, all businesses and Canadians to check out the e-supply website. Speaking of that, why should someone steer away from big box outlets to going to a local Canadian-owned, Indigenous-owned e-supply? Yeah, that's an important question. And you know what? The answer to that really isn't as clear cut as it might be. And there's many benefits, but moving away from the big box retailers, I'll be the first to tell you, is not an easy feat. You know, and anyone that has done that, has attempted to do that, knows that it can be a challenge, right? The big box stores are the big box stores. But by doing so, it allows you to align your values with small and medium enterprises whose values better match your own or those of your companies. You know, it gives you an opportunity to be intentional about who you support and who your resources actually go towards and have an impact on. You know, when I think of the term big box, I think of hegemony, I think of urban sprawl, and unfortunately, profits over people. You know, that's not always the case, but many times it is, you know. And unfortunately, many of the big box retailers, they were the only ones that were earning revenue during the lockdown. You know, I think we saw, we heard a number of stories where, you know, retailer X brought in, you know, a grocery offering and that allowed them to keep their doors open during the pandemic. And many small and medium enterprises, unfortunately, they had to shut down. They were the ones that bore the brunt of the lockdowns. And so I think as Canadians move forward, if businesses move forward, being intentional around who you're supporting makes just good business sense because Canadians are expecting that of corporate companies and how are they supporting locally and particularly small and medium and diverse suppliers. Oh, that's awesome. Did you ever watch like the office episodes when like Dunder Mifflin would always be making pokes and take on staples? <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, they're actually the reason why I got into this business in the first place. Um, Was Dunder Mifflin? No, well, no. I mean, it, it, the big guys, Staples. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, when I was uh, looking around at who were we actually uh, purchasing supplies yeah. from, our Staples rep came walking in that day. Yeah. Just as I was considering, you know, pondering this business concept, and you know, I, I said to my finance guy, "How much are we spending on office supplies?" He came back, and our little community was doing almost two hundred thousand dollars in office supplies, and I said, "Wow." That is something. I'm going to go and hit that uh, the brick and mortar up for even a nominal donation at Christmas time to support our children's toy drive yeah. at Christmas. Well, unfortunately, I was told that I got to go and apply online just like everybody else. You know, and that didn't sit right with me. I get that there are processes, you know, to make it fair and transparent. Yeah. But, you know, when our community is directly contributing upwards of $200,000 to the local brick and mortar, they expect there to be a little leeway, particularly when it comes to, you know, supporting children's causes. And so, you know, as a result, in part, here we are with eSupply Canada. So in part, I kind of thank them for how that went down. Wow. That's, well, great, you know, inspiration, moments of inspiration. That's amazing. Leadership. You're speaking about giving donations and what does it mean to give back to the community? What does Indigenous leadership mean to you and, and what do you see uh, that kind of impacting the business and how will that look kind of you think in the coming months and even now? Yeah, I suppose when I think of Indigenous leadership, it's not dissimilar from actually being a business leader. Like There are certain qualities that 
one must exhibit in order to be an indigenous leader, whether you're an indigenous business leader, an indigenous community leader, leader of a nonprofit, you know, there are all traits, I think, that kind of cut across everything. One is, you know, being a visionary. And you've got to have a clear vision for the future, for your organization, for your community and for your people. People are looking for that. And you need to have integrity, I think, is another one. And you need to be honest. You need to be transparent. You need to be fair. Having good morals and ethical principles is key, right? You're responsible for a community, for a nation's future, for, you know, the next seven generations. And so you need to act with integrity at all points. And you need to be decisive, right? Like you're dealing with community issues that touch people's lives in real time. You know, there's no no time for wallowing. You know, you need to quickly look at the options and make the best decisions, you know, with the information that you have, yeah. right? Of course, you also need to have empathy, right? You need to be able to understand that the decisions that you make, the decision that your council makes, they're impacting people in real time, yeah. right? You need to understand, also understand that people are going to come to you with their issues and you're going to know them. They're going to be your family member. And so you need to exhibit empathy and just be there for them in that leadership role. And of course, you know, being able to inspire, motivate others, that's incredibly important in being, you know, an indigenous leader. And so when I look at all of those, those are exactly the type of qualities that business leaders need to be. Now, what sets indigenous leaders apart, though, from business leaders mm-hmm. is that indigenous leaders are often underpaid. You know, there are no performance bonuses and definitely no stock options when it comes to mm-hmm. being an indigenous leader. Yeah. Wow. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And speaking of leadership, tell me about the Canada Future Leaders Scholarship that you've uh, created. So, yeah, we've uh, created uh, at the heart of our company a give back program, and it's called the East Supply Leaders Future Development Program. And so 1% of our net profit actually goes to this pot of revenue. And what it does is we actually fund Indigenous students pursuing uh, post-secondary and either business, economics, law, as well as the trades, right? I was very intentional when I set up this program. Because those are often the skills that Indigenous communities are contracting from non-Indigenous peoples and organizations outside of the community, right? Business, economics, law, uh, you know, millions of dollars are spent on the big corporation. And if we're intentional about supporting Indigenous youth in those, that's going to pay dividends to, you know, our people, to our nations, to our communities. 
right? And so I wanted to focus on that. And of course, the trades, I mean, if you can't hit a resource project in this company without, you know, encroaching on an Indigenous community's territory or traditional territory. And there are great opportunities. We see it, you know, out west. Uh, we see it in Alberta. Increasingly within Ontario, lots of great opportunities. And they're going to be in the trades. High-paying careers, you know, highly skilled careers. And so I want to support those. Now, that's on the scholarship side of things. The other part is actually investing in Indigenous businesses. And so I know the value of businesses and the impact that they can have at a community level and also on a family level, right? Started eSupply, actually run another company as well. But, um, you know, I've seen firsthand just the impact businesses can have within Indigenous communities. And so I want to support Indigenous businesses as they're coming up. And so although we haven't done it yet, uh, we will be supporting Indigenous businesses as that revenue increases from our sales. But what we have done on the scholarship side is we actually made our first $25,000 contribution to a local First Nation in Ontario that has set up a 10-year uh, scholarship to support their students. So that has been fantastic. I'm in discussions with uh, one of the institutions that I've actually attended on setting up a, an MBA um, scholarship as well, because as you know, MBAs are incredibly expensive and you know that's often a barrier for Indigenous peoples who want to attend business school is the cost. So if we can set something up to support Indigenous students, then that's what we get to do. And supporting businesses like eSupply and other diverse businesses, companies, large companies benefit from that, Hmm. right? Because of this pay it forward. You know, I would challenge you or your listeners to go out and find an Indigenous business or minority-owned business across Canada that doesn't have a social component built into their operating model. Hmm. So just by supporting them, you get access to an even bigger, diverse community, but you can have a bigger impact simply from the purchase of your everyday goods and services. Amazing. And on that, tell me what it's been like kind of a response, maybe from like government groups or corporations who are like, man, we want to spend whatever, 5, 10, 20% of our dollars with Indigenous companies. Are you seeing the pickup? Are you seeing the response that you hope for? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wish I could be uh, honest and say, you know, everyone has just been uh, clamoring to beat down our door. Um, that, that really hasn't been the case. You know, I think what we're seeing today around Indigenous or companies wanting to support Indigenous and minority-owned business is great. But as we know, changing corporate culture, particularly entrenched corporate culture within large organizations, doesn't happen overnight, right? It takes leadership. It takes broad stakeholder engagement and it takes commitment from everyone that plays a role, right? So what I found is we get CEOs that make commitments around wanting to support indigenous supply chain or minority, you know, supply chain diversity. That's great. But what I'm often seeing when I pick up the phone and I'm calling Canada's large companies is those companies are under contract or they've signed, you know, three, five-year agreements with those suppliers, and so what it comes down to is how do we keep build the relationship until such time as those contracts open up? And so a lot of the times it's, you know, working with them on low value acquisitions, you know, credit card purchases, keeping in touch, reaching out to them on a quarterly basis or whatever it might be, just so they get to know. But that's a long term strategy, right? So you need to play that. So it's not happening overnight, it takes time. And what I've also seen is that 
when many of these CEOs make commitments, the gatekeepers, or what I like to call the uh, procurement and purchasers, they are the biggest barriers, right? Because they have longstanding relationships with the people with whom they've been doing business for, for sometimes decades, right? And that takes time. And sometimes it can be next to impossible to break down those barriers. And so one of the things that I encourage is how can people's performance appraisals be tied to delivering on those commitments that the CEOs and boards have made, right? That takes sometimes engaging labor, right? And negotiating that into contracts. But if everyone's supportive of this, you know, it takes time, but everyone needs to get on track with this because that's where things are moving. And if we look at the size of the indigenous economy, I mean, in 2022, for instance, indigenous government, business, and household expenditures, you know, totaled $49 billion. That's a phenomenal market, right? That is huge. And people are directly looking at it. But Indigenous peoples have considerable purchasing power, right? And so it just makes good business sense to remove those barriers. And how can corporations, governments better start working with Indigenous peoples? And that's, you know, that's going to take time. But, you know, businesses like myself and other um, industry, Indigenous industry groups are out there. How can we work with corporations and government to remove many of those barriers? Yeah. No, it's incredible. What gives you hope? What keeps you still going when you're getting all these like no's or it's going to take a while and it's frustrating? What keeps you going? What keeps me going at the end of the day is the people that I help that are directly within my employee. You know, that is hands down the thing at the end of the day that keeps me going. Knowing that I've helped diverse individuals you know, some are indigenous, some are from other racialized communities, majority of whom are also women, help them buy houses, right? That maybe they didn't have before. Being able to do that is something that I actually never set out to, to do when I was a, when I'm starting this business. But as I started to hear these stories from people that have been with me and they've grown in the company, you know, to be able to have a meaningful impact in, in their lives is, you know, by far the greatest success that I take away from this on a day-to-day basis. You know, helping them, you know, put kids through schools, you know, purchase cars. Those are all qualities of being a business owner that, you know, I actually never saw it. When I was writing the business plan on starting a supply, that wasn't, you know, some of the benefits in there. But to actually be truly rewarded from that experience is, you know, ultimately what keeps me going. And to hear from them the passion that they have as a result of that on days when I'm like, why am I even doing this? Why do I keep calling these places and banging my head and nobody seems to get it? And, you know, why would I call you back in five years? You know, I mean, we need support now. And when they say, you know what, Steve, I heard from one of our customers today and they really appreciate that we did this and like, we will go to the wall for them. So, so to see that in my employees is absolutely phenomenal. Incredible. That's so great to hear. For you, as far as like inspirational people or books or resources, what, what have you kind of taken as like in external inspiration or kind of support or been really you want to shout out to to be like, man, they've been awesome in this world? Hands down, the biggest impact on me has been from a podcast actually called How I Built This. Nice. Yeah. 
Guy Raz, yeah. you know, he on on NPR. That was actually the podcast that led to what would become eSupply. You know, when I sat on council, I was doing a lot of commutes, you know, driving to Toronto, driving all over the place, you know, throughout Ontario. And I would often put on those podcasts. And you know, two in particularly actually, you know, stuck with me. One was the folks from Wayfair, you know, how they started this business from basically nothing and created what would become, you know, one of the largest online retailers of home furnishings. And so I was really impressed with that business model over there. I said, wow, those guys never have to touch a product. Like that's phenomenal. You know, sign me up for that. Another one was um, Shopify, right? Gentleman met his partner while skiing in Germany and, you know, came over here and lived with their family and just iterated this product. And, you know, next thing you know, it turned into what, you know, of course, what is today is, is Shopify. And so just hearing the inspiration from these, you know, who we now look at as, you know, some of the leaders of the biggest companies out there. To actually hear their story of how, you know, not too long ago, they were just like me. They were just like other people that are out there and saying, you know, I can do this better. Mm. I can create this or there's an opportunity. How do I approach it? And just putting in the work and the hustle and putting in the time and picking up the phone and doing all the things that business leaders do was, was you know, really inspirational. And I said, you know, I've got to do this. You know, I see an opportunity at my community. I see a need not being met. I see our business being taken for granted. Revenue leaving the community. I said, if my community's business is being taken for granted, there are 634 other Indigenous communities out there. And I guarantee you, most, if not all, of their business is being taken for granted as well. Would they support an Indigenous supplier if they had that option? And so that was the thesis, heard the inspiration, and lo and behold, here we are three years later. It's amazing. This is really cool. What do you want to share to other entrepreneurs or, or soon-to-be entrepreneurs? You know, what do you want to encourage people who are listening to the show now who are thinking about doing their own thing? When I hear this question, I often take a different path, right? People always say, you know, you, you got to follow your passion. You know, I, I say that's crap. Uh, I say, look for the opportunity. You know, passion can come later, mm-hmm. right? Is look for the opportunity. And why do I say that is, you know... I, just look at myself as a case study. You know, I didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I want to start a company that sells office janitorial and industrial supplies. You weren't, right? 10, like, you weren't 10 thinking that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I mean, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a captain of industry. Yeah. Right. So to start what will become e-supply certainly wasn't, you know, in my mindset, you know, at any point. It wasn't in your I dream saw, journal? Your, your dream. No, until, you know, <laughs> until I saw the opportunity. Right. Until I saw that, again, revenue leaving communities, communities not fully being able to capitalize on development in their territories because many have few businesses. Yeah. Right. And so if we can pull together the supply chains and provide them with that one stop shop supply chain themselves, A, they can address their leakage within their own communities and we give them access to the supply chain so they can go out and build those partnerships with developers in their territories. They can use it to, you know, create joint ventures. They can use it to enhance impact benefit agreements, you know, and better fulfill and and deliver on their um, procurement uh, riders within many of those agreements. And in fact, that's where the passion has come from. It's not from the selling of supplies, but it's being able to bring opportunity to communities, being able to help them to address leakage and create businesses. 
You know, and one of the things that I've actually done in order to help communities is, you know, I've partnered with a, a Fanshawe College here in Ontario to create our new owner training program. And maybe your listeners know if they don't, you know, there are often lower levels of education, graduation rates within many Indigenous communities. And I said to myself, you know, I don't want that to be a barrier to business success. So what can I do to ensure that if they're going to become part of the e-supply family as a community-owned franchise, how can we address that? And so, you know, I reached out to the folks at uh, Fanshawe College and I said, you know, let's put some together here. And they've got a great program, you know, sales and marketing. And so we created a program for our owners. You know, it's four days. We put them through the paces. Uh, at the end, you know, not only do they learn all about the business, sales, overcoming objections, being a great account managers, but they also get, you know, a microcredit from the institution as well. So, you know, that's where I think the passion comes from now. You know, I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. It's being able to provide those supports to not only Indigenous communities, but Canadians looking for that opportunity as well. That's where the passion comes from. Not the selling of supplies, but bringing opportunity to others is really what, what gets me going. It's amazing. Anything else you want to leave with listeners, viewers, about kind of e-supply or anything else that you want to share? Yeah, you know, I think there's a, there are a couple of things. You know, when it comes to economic reconciliation or what can corporate Canada, what can marketers do, there are many things going on. Indigenous communities are thriving, and they're thriving because of community leadership, and they're thriving because of resilience. But many of them are also thriving because of strong partnerships with industry, right? Create those partnerships, you know, get out there and find out how can you work with Indigenous peoples, businesses, and communities to create new partnerships, because those partnerships pay dividends, right? They're able to employ community members. They're able to, you know, support hiring of, you know, women that maybe are, are from you know, single parent households or raising children by themselves. You know, we're seeing children more and more move into business, you know. So those partnerships are key and all businesses have a role to play. You know, it's about being respectful, being intentional and in how businesses approach their work with Indigenous communities. And, you know, I think there's really some really quick wins. You know, we know the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. They have their Progressive Aboriginal Relations Program, which really measures corporate and Indigenous relations. That's an easy win. You know, identifying within your own supply chains. How can you become a procurement champion? Right. There are over 50,000 Indigenous businesses. You know, you can do audits around recruitment, hiring, promotion policies to ensure that they're culturally informed. You can... Again, create partnerships with Indigenous communities. You can use tech to help address some of the challenges Indigenous communities face. You know, if you have a corporate giving program, instead of giving to the big charity, support an Indigenous charity because there are hundreds nationwide, right? And if nothing else, visit an Indigenous community because they're all open for business. You know, taking a cultural event such as a powwow or a visit friendship center, you know, if you're in an urban area. Spend money in these places, you know, and perhaps above all, you know, get to know the issues and compel yourself to go beyond the often sensationalist headlines in order to understand the issues that are really at play. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Stephen, you ready for the rapid fire round? Do it. Let's do this. Quick, short, first thing that comes to your head. What was your first ever job? Picking strawberries in my neighbor's plot of land next to us. Uh, night owl or early bird? Early bird, my morning start at 4 a.m. Cat or dog person? 
It skews cat, but only by a little bit. What was the first time you ever started your own business? What was kind of the first thing you did in business? So I ran a grass cutting and babysitting business when I was 12. I was too young to get summer jobs. So I'd cut your grass by day and then look after your kids by night. That is awesome. Um, (laughs) Dark or milk chocolate? Dark chocolate with uh, uh, salted caramel, of course. Nice. Uh, Your favorite word right now? Favorite word? Business, because that's really what I'm I'm entrenched in. I love it. Um, What's the last charity you supported financially or with your time and why? Last charity that I supported was an organization in southwestern Ontario called Atlosa Family Healing Services. I sat as their board member, uh, sorry, as their board president. I just believe that, you know, that having gone through business school, being a business person, I could really help bring, uh, you know, a business mindset to the organization. And yeah, it was a great experience. It's awesome. What's a movie that you just love? You could watch over and over and over again. Oh, geez. Probably Training Day. I love that movie. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Favorite <laughs> song or album on repeat right now? Anything by Drake, maybe? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, started from the bottom. Now you're here. Look at this. Um, <laughs> if you weren't doing this job, maybe in another multiverse, what would you be doing with your life? I wasn't doing this job. I also have another company. So okay. uh, I'd, I'd likely be doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm a business person at heart. Yep. And it's all about creating businesses. Nice. What's an app on your phone you just can't live without? Spotify. Nice. Uh, favorite children's book? Favorite children's book. Don't have a favorite one, but there's a lot of great indigenous uh, authors out there. And given that I have three young kids, yeah. they're full of indigenous authors and children's books. Amazing. Best thing you ever bought for under $10? Probably an iPhone case. I drop those things enough mm-hmm. and every little bit of protection helps, you know? Yeah. No, that's brilliant. What's the best thing you ever changed your mind about? Probably, uh, you know, a hire. You know, sometimes hires just don't, on paper, look what you're looking for. Yeah. But when you give them a chance, they, they turn out to be the best uh, people that you're out there. So love changing my mind about people and bringing opportunity. Nice. Uh, any business books that you'd recommend? The one I'm reading right now is uh, uh, How I Built This, again, yeah. by Guy Raz. Yeah, nice. So he's, he summarized all of those stories into a book, and that's what I read. That's awesome. Uh, when you look to hire someone, what are you looking for in new hires at the moment? Willingness to learn. That's key. Amazing. Well, thanks again. Where can people find you online and where should they uh, follow up? So they can go on eSupply Canada, letter E, supplycanada.ca. And for those that are interested in franchising, eSupplyCanadaFranchise.ca. So that's us. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us this week, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Darian. Thanks, everyone. pleasure. Thanks for everyone for joining us on this episode of Marketing News Canada. And we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors Travis Jeffers and The Podfather.